on today's episode. There was always somebody in the family threatening to kill themselves or chucking a butcher knife, a lot of violence and things like that. These tools are life-changing. If you can find the right therapy and the right therapist for you, mm. you can change your life. It's incredible. You know, no matter what, as long as I'm humble enough to ask for help when it comes down to it and then be open to the help that's offered, I'm going to be okay. I'm just grateful for really all of it. I'm grateful for all of it, everything that has happened, the way that it's happened, that's brought me to here to to be the man that I am and to be able to live the, the life that, that I live with the kind of experience that I have, I, I don't think I would trade it for anything. Wow. Welcome to the Things I Wish I'd Known podcast. We're on a mission to help those of us who feel way too sad, way too often, remember what it's like to feel alive and 100% yourself again. So whether you're here because you're stressed out, feel like your emotions are constantly hijacking your life, or you've just somehow lost your way, your host, Rachel, has got your back. Let's have all the chats everyone told us not to talk about. Yeah. (laughs) Rebellion. She's a raver, misbehaver, and suicide survivor turned happiness champion. She's on a mission to bring happiness back because let's face it, it never really went out of fashion. This podcast may contain content that is triggering for some listeners. If you're sensitive to certain topics, please check the show notes for full episode descriptions. Hello and welcome to Things I Wish I'd Known with your host, Rachel. It is so good to be here with you guys today. Today we are going to be talking about the very sensitive subject of suicide for Mental Health Awareness Week. And I am here with Arthur Westinghouse and he is an interventionist working with families and people with untreated addictions and mental health. He's been sober for 30 years and he's also a musician living in Nashville. Nashville. Yeah, Nashville. Um, with his wife, who's actually from Kent, which is down the road from where I was born. So it's all very, very interesting. So welcome, Arthur. Thank you so much for coming to talk to me today. Thanks, Rachel. Glad to be here. Good to have you here. So I guess, you know, a good place to start is what's your experience, I guess, with suicide? Because you've had quite a lot of experience, haven't you, through personal and through family as well? Yeah, it's um, pretty pretty significant. When I was five years old, there was it started with my first experience was a family member um, cutting themselves, uh, saying, "Look what you did. This is your fault." Um, and then and then that person would kind of go to sleep, but they wouldn't wake up. So you, you know, as a five year old, I thought they were they were not with us anymore. Mm. Um, so it st- kind of started there, and then there was almost a constant thread of that. You know, there was always somebody in the family threatening to kill themselves or chucking a butcher knife or, you know, a lot of violence and things like that. Um, when I was a teenager, I was homeless um, from the age of, I don't know, on and off from the age of 13 to 17. Mm. Uh, I was a daily blackout drinker from the age of 11 to 17. And that's not an exaggeration that <clears throat> I grew up in the south side of Chicago. And I think I grew up, you know, was born into like a cultural depression. Mm. Um, so th- this was normal. And literally, I, I mean, being out there, I, I, I thought about dying daily. I, I just didn't want to be here. But I couldn't I couldn't figure out how to how to actually make it happen or 
or maybe um, maybe somebody was looking out for me to ensure that that didn't happen. Mm. Um, and then I, I got sober when I was 17. I went through a treatment center um, in Oaklawn, Illinois, a place called Crossroads Interventions that was closed shortly after I went through. And um, I was met with the right staff. I, uh, this friend of mine, Pam, she, um, she gave me this hug that literally um, is one of those where they hold a little extra long. To where you're like tapping out, like okay, you know, yeah, like uh, let me out of here. Slightly and, awkward and, now, mate. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but literally, uh, she's been my friend for all these years, over thirty years. I just saw her a couple, a few weeks ago. Mm. She hugs the same way. I was like having to try to tap out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but it, you know, it, and so that that was amazing, and it set me on a real course to some good things in my life, and yeah. then. Um, four, four years in, in, after I got sober, I was 21 years old. I had a combination of things happen that created, uh, what I have now learned would be considered a trauma rupture. Right. And, um, I literally had, I was playing music with this, this little band and had a girlfriend that was much older than me. And the guy, uh, the main songwriter in the band relapsed on heroin and was, uh, sleeping with the girl that I was dating and I figured out in a roundabout way what was happening. And, um, and just physiologically, there were things that were just shifting in me. I felt like I wanted to rip my skin off. I was hyperventilating. I was like going back to the meetings, like, what, what am I not doing? I've done everything right. Mm. You know, um, I've done everything right, but it's not working. I'm going into psychiatrists' offices, and they're like, oh, let's see what this does to your brain. Let's try that. And I'm like, you only talked to me for five minutes. You know, mm. um, how do you know what's, you know, well, okay, I guess you're the doctor. And, you know, I find out years later that that particular medication, the long-term study, which there wasn't at the time, um, you know, had, you know, suicidality along with it. And, mm. um so anyhow, through a, a series of events, I, I, I was at uh, like a large event in Chicago and something happened and I was trying to make it back to the train and um, and I couldn't. I, I literally felt like I was thrown from a 50-foot bridge mm. uh, at 21 years old and was fortunate enough to uh, survive with a couple of just clean broken bones in my ankle, no shattering, and a slight compression fracture in my spine. Someone and, is um, looking out for you, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I remember the paramedics were like, you need to tell us what drugs you did. You need to tell us now. And I'm like, I didn't do anything. I, I just don't want to be here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, well, a actually, I changed my mind halfway down because one of my legs went up. You know, <laughs> I didn't break both ankles. I only broke one. You know, I was like, oh, no. That's half of you going, whoops. Yeah, yeah. whoops. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and interestingly, I, you know, I, I so I went to the hospital. They did the surgery on my ankle and I was living in Aurora, Illinois at the time. And who became later, years and years later, became my mentor in the behavioral health field. My first mentor, um, he was there at the other hospital that they ambulanced me to uh, and greeted me on the psych ward there. And, and uh, he said, uh, I'd, I'd known him a number of years then, a guy named Jerry Esposito. He's passed on now. But um, he said, uh, 
when are you going to do something about that depression? I said, oh, I'm not depressed. He's like, Mm. really? When's the last time you looked in the mirror? (laughs) And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, what? I think that what happened with that event was that 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 trauma rupture that happened. People might be listening and thinking, what the hell's a trauma rupture? They might not understand what what that is. So Mm -hmm. would you mind explaining just um, for people's benefit what your definition would be of a trauma rupture? So basically, with the story I've just shared, you know, through a series of events, some old things were opened, you know, cracked open. I, I I didn't know until probably... 10 or 11 years ago that I'm, you know, that I'm a, I'm a trauma survivor that I, you know, I have PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. And, um, I, I didn't know that at the time at 21 years old, I didn't know what a trauma rupture was, but you know, that, that old, old, old trauma probably related to the abandonment of that family member, Mm. you know, um, trying to, to off themselves in front of me as a five-year-old combined with everything else that happened, the violence, the abuse, Mm. I mean, I was literally almost beaten to death repeatedly throughout my childhood by a stepfather. He actually wound up dying of cirrhosis, um, probably in the last 10 years or so. Mm. So all kind of all of that or a combination of that resurged with me on a physical level as well as an emotional and psychological level. Yeah. So that's probably not the scientific definition, but that's like from, from when I say that relating to my personal story, that's what I I mean. I think that's super helpful as well, because I think a lot of people don't realize with trauma, you know, a lot of the time you get to a certain age and you think like, well, that was years ago, you know, that, that can't be affecting me now, but I had you know, I, I dealt with that or, you know, I, I just forgot about it and I'm getting on with my life and everything's okay now, not realising that all that stuff is stored in the body mm. and that, you know, it needs to be processed. Like, I have this cheesy thing, you know, feel it to heal it. Yeah. You kind of need to go through it a little bit, right, to, to come out the other side. So Right. So, okay, so you've had this um, trauma rupture, as you say, and then... So what, well, yeah, it, it, the, to kind of vibe off what you're saying about, you know, well, that was people will say, well, that was years ago. You know, the mm. the dysfunctional family will say, you know, well, you need to just get on with it. You know, yeah. you, you need to just get over it, get on yeah. with it. And it's like I don't have the ability to just get over it and get on with it. I have mm. unresolved grief. And if I don't take the steps to resolve the grief, I'll never get beyond it. Yes. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And some things you don't you don't fully get beyond. You just learn to live with in as graceful a way as you possibly can. Absolutely. Yeah. With a lot of help with that event. When I jumped off that bridge, I actually wrote a song about it. When that happened, I, I believe that that put all of that back to sleep. It was like mm-hmm. another trauma layered on top, you know, and it, and it put all that to sleep literally for probably 16 years. Wow. I didn't, I didn't come close to anything like that for 16 years. And I'd, I'd had some therapy here and there. I, you know, I've done EMDR work. I've actually reprocessed the, you know, the, what I'd shared initially with, yeah. you know, the family member 
blaming me for their suicide attempt. You know, I, I've reprocessed that. At, EMDR is amazing. I was going to say, it's one of the most yeah. incredible therapies I've ever had. But I feel like, yeah. um, I don't know if you felt the same, it's like napalm for the emotions. It's like, boom, <laughs> there they are. Oh, You're yeah. Like, ah! No, I, I guttural, guttural wept for an hour. It terrifying at times. Yeah. And I literally, I, I, it was the first call that I made. Uh, we were living in Vegas at the time. It was the yeah. first call that I made. Um, this French woman named Valerie Leclerc was her name. Phenomenal therapist. That was the first call. And I could hear myself asking for help when I was leaving a message. And I literally, I like, you know, got emotional. Yeah. Um, and it turned out she she was doing EMDR before. And I think before they were calling it EMDR. Mm. So she's like this, like other level of EMDR. You know, again, somebody look it out for me. I, I just, that first call was the right call, you know. And yeah. um, and she just had a real way of guiding me through those events. And then she'd tie them together um, and, and reprocess like a series of events, tra- mm. traumatic events together. Um, I, I'm still blown away. I, I like... Some of those pictures I would see every single day of my life up until the time that I did that that process. And it was only like five five sessions with her. She's like, I can't believe you waited this long. I'm like, I didn't know it was here. (laughs) This is the thing that I get so annoyed about. And this is one of the things where I set this podcast up was like, I want to talk about the things people were told not to talk about. I want to have these conversations because some of these tools... You know, they're not publicly talked about. A lot of the time they're um, poo-pooed as like woo-woo nonsense or wishy-washy stuff. And it's like, these Mm. tools are life-changing. You know, if you can find the right therapy and the right therapist for you, Mm. you can change your life. It's incredible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I I mean, I... I said it, it went to sleep for 16 years. It woke woke up again, you know, it woke <laughs> up again. Yeah, it woke up through another series of events and it was very familiar to me. I was like, oh, I know what that is, mm. you know. I mean, fortunately, throughout my life and all those years in between, it whenever I, the, the one thing that I've done right in my life is when I experience some, something that I don't understand, I'm not ashamed to ask for help. I'm like, mm. I, I know where this goes if I don't, you know. So Yeah, that's amazing. That's such an amazing um, ability to have. Because yeah. I think so many people, myself included, for a long time, I was that. I can cope. I'm a strong yeah. woman. I don't need help. I, you know, I'll take and I take on other people's problems too, as if I didn't have enough of sure. my own. <laughs> oh yeah, you'd be like, yeah, yeah. okay, I'll carry that for you too. Hey, I've got big shoulders. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd always be thinking, oh, it's not. I'm not as you know. I don't have that bigger problems. There's other thi- Other people have it worse than me, kind of thing. What? And then what I realised now is just total avoidance. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, brain and the body's so good at totally avoiding things. I, I liked what you said as well about that thing of like, you know, went back to sleep for 16 years and kind of woke back up to it. And I think that I see a lot with my clients and not so much in my own journey, actually, but I've seen a lot with my clients that, like you said, you, you get to a certain point in your healing and you think, I'm doing all the things, everything's, everything should be working now. And then and as almost like a second wave comes and I'm like, mm. yeah, but your brain and your body is so in tune and clever at knowing what you can cope with. 
And I think, you know, sometimes you have to do a level of work to get the strength to face the next depth of, yeah. you know, whatever it is you might need to deal with. And then you get another level of strength that allows you to go to the next depth and, and so on and so forth until, you know, the the well, <laughs> the trauma well is empty and you're like, oh, phew, oh thank God I'm, I'm done, you know, and out the other side yeah. sort of thing. I. I'd like that to be a reality, but I'm not sure if it's going to happen in in this life anyway. You know, yeah. it's almost like a you know, and I, I talk about this often. I feel like there there is. I, I, I'm very successful in my life currently. I you know, my wife and I keep the nonsense out and just stay focused on building our our life and our happiness. And so there there's still even with all of that, there's a deep well of sadness that. I have yet to see the bottom too. It's yeah. just there. And it's like, you know, I don't have to hide it. I don't have to be ashamed of it. I don't have to, you know, push it down. I, I can, I can be okay with it. It's, yeah. you know, it's there, it's part of me, it's part of who I am. And, and it probably, you know, gives me a level of empathy with people that, um, you know, that, that feel overwhelmed by that. Oh know. yeah, absolutely. And so, Tell us a bit about your work, because it's quite interesting. You're an interventionist and mm. obviously working with um, families and also individuals that have kind of unresolved addictions and mental health. And I don't know, this is like my own theory, but I just I feel like mental health and addiction and even to an extent what we might deem criminality to an extent are often yeah. so often fed by trauma and oh, yeah. it's so misunderstood and yeah I just wondered if like obviously your experience of working with people that are suffering I guess and is is that been your experience as well yeah so I, I think with with my life experience you know that that doesn't qualify me to do the the work that I do, but it does give me some other level of insight, mm. you know, um, on, on a personal level. And it also gives me a sensitivity to the trauma of others. And, and really I, I am, I'm almost hypervigilant about not re-traumatizing people mm -hmm. through our processes. Um, so, you know, intervention, I, I've literally, I, I moved back to Chicago back in 2008 with the intention of getting involved in this field. Mm. Um, I took a job at a prison. I worked at a prison for, for two years. I carried a caseload of 20 guys at any given time and did hundreds of clinical assessments there. Mm. Um, so I'm a certified alcohol and drug counselor. I kind of hang on to that. And then ran an outpatient office for a couple of years following that. And then um, a friend of mine who was just a, you know, friend in, in recovery in Chicago, mutual, we had mutual friends kept tapping me on the shoulder about this intervention thing. And I was like, Oh, I just took this other job. I'll, I'm going to see how this goes. And mm. the last time he caught me at the right time. Um, and, uh, I said, yeah, I'll give it a, give it a shot. Um, I, you know, got on a plane to Portland, Oregon and, um, did an intervention and, over the next five years, I was on about 10 flights a week, um, wow. flying here, there, and everywhere. It was just kind of, um, it's very natural for me to do this work. I think it was just kind of built into me. I mean, I was 18 years old in a 79 Camaro 
driving people to detox in the middle of the night, you know, just because they would drunk dial me and I'd say, well, I can take you to detox. So, so, you know, fast forward all those years later, getting into that work is, is just very natural. And I think working with the population that I did in the prison, um, you know, I, I was able to get guys who'd been in and out of prison for 20 years to, to get emotional in front of their peers in a group in a prison setting. That's amazing. For more information on how you can bring your happiness back, why not join Rachel's monthly membership or contact her via her website, www.welfordwellbeing.com. You know, I just showed up and was genuine and, and allowed them to be themselves and was myself and uh, you know probably where I grew up may have given me a little credibility but they felt safe you know Mm. and and I think that translated to the intervention work you know the families that we work with um, from the time I began doing this work there there's almost an immediate trust that's that's Mm. that happens um, once we once we start working so with, with our work we I, I focus on, I go right for the family. I focus on the mm-hmm. family. What changes can we create and education can we provide for the family to make make a difference there? Get them prepared. Get all the emotions and everything out day yeah. one with them. Let's, let's purge that, you know, as much as we can so that we invite and we use an invitational process. Mm-hmm. When we invite that person to this, this discussion, this talk, this meeting, it's safe. Yeah. Nobody's going to kick off. Nobody's going to jump out of their chairs. Yeah. You know, it's a very, it's usually a pretty boring, <laughs> boring meeting. You know, yeah. no, nobody's getting re-traumatized. And that's what I'm aiming for is, yeah. is boring, you know. Yeah, the um, last thing you want is someone coming in and getting told like, you did this or like, da da Well, they do. Like, there are people that do that, that yeah. claim to do what we do. And that it's like they're not trained. They don't have the yeah. education they don't know what they're doing and they actually cause more harm than good with these families mm. a lot of times it's it's sad but um but you know and then what what we also do is we have like 30 days of family coaching built into the intervention process so um you know i'm i'm communicating with the therapist and the te- clinical team and the treatment center at least for that first 30 days and then generally Generally, mm-hmm. we we usually go beyond that. Wind up staying staying on for a little longer um, yeah. to ensure that like there's an actual continuum put together. You know, that's so helpful um, because you know, with somebody goes and spends thirty days in treatment and then just goes back to the same situation that they left, that their probability of staying sober or off drugs. Um, are pretty slim. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like Bruce Lipton talks about, I don't know if you've ever read any Bruce Lipton stuff about no. epigenetics. So he's this really interesting doctor, uh, biologist, and um, he uh, does uh, this work in epigenetics, which basically says the environment is mm. what creates your gene um, expression. Mm. And so he always talks about uh, human beings and our environment i.e like where we live where we work how we communicate sure. with each other and stuff like that what we put in our bodies all different kinds of things he sort of talks like as if we're in petri dishes <laughs> right <laughs> and right he, and he's like you know if i'm trying to grow a cell in my lab i don't use the cheap awful 
um, st- you know, stuff to make the cell. Like I, I try to use organic, whatever, and he's like, and it should be the same. Like it's the environment. So exactly what you're saying, right? It's like if they get taken out of that environment to go to detox or to, you know, some kind of program or whatever it might be that they're doing, and then they go back into the environment that was cause you know not necessarily causing but had a part in creating that addiction or the mental health issue it's going to be very difficult i always say you can't get well in the same place you got sick yeah that's that's true i mean i i went through that 90-day program i was actually a ward of the state i called my child services worker and asked him to take me there Mm. and um you know, did that 90 days. And then I, I had nowhere to go. I mean, I came off the street when I went into that treatment mm. center. So I started calling my mother and she was still in, in active addiction and with untreated mental health. And, mm. um, just, and it was still pretty dark in there, darker than I realized. <laughs> and, um, that's where I went when I got out of treatment. Fortunately, I was going to a meeting every day mm. and I got, you know, got what they call a sponsor, your mentor yeah. in recovery. And I'm still friends with him to this day. He's, he's like my brother. But um, he, uh, you know, at a certain point, there was a lot of sabotage that was happening. Like, you know, my recovery was being sabotaged where I was living. And mm. so he and some other people came in and said, yeah, you can't live here anymore. You're going to go live here with, uh, with, they were Ray and Linda, this couple. Mm. And I, they were like, yeah, you, here's a room in the basement. It'll be $250 a month. And, oh, and Ray works right down the street from where you work. So you can ride with him to work every day. Right. So I did that for the first year. So in, in that, it, had that not happened, I, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. No, it's you amazing, know? isn't it? How it was a res- little, rescue mission. <laughs> but how these little steps and, you know, people just being able to, to help you along the way just makes such a big difference. Yeah. I mean, what do you think has been your biggest learning so far along your journey from, you know, obviously having that horrendous experience at five years old through to, mm-hmm. you know, being suicidal yourself dealing through addiction getting um you know sober all that coming mean, it's just been a, a well the, the one, life right yeah yeah the the one go-to is um and, and I've, I've experienced extraordinary things in between as well mm. um you know just built amazing relationships over the years and and friendships and relationships with family members that you know i have my cousin brandy in the chicago area she's uh she's like my fellow family dysfunction rebel, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then my, and then there's my, my uncle John, who's like the oldest of, there were five oldest of no five, six oldest of six. And he, um, he's the only one that didn't have an issue with addiction, mm. but he's like the, he's almost the poster child for the adult child. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, um, you know, just built a strong relationship with him. The, the, the biggest learning I would say is that, you know, no matter what, as long as I'm humble enough to ask for help when it comes down to it and then be open to the help that's offered, I'm going to be okay. Mm. You know, when, when, when that, so 16 years and that woke up again, uh, it was very familiar. I actually decided, I'm like, okay, if I get any thoughts like that or, or, you know, any suicidal thoughts, I'm going to call one of those hotlines Mm -hmm. just to, I literally, I'm like, so that's what happened. I, I literally, it was so vivid of a vision of my t- 
teeth scraping off the barrel of a gun. I didn't have a gun, but it was it was a vivid mm. vision of that all those years later. And I was like, yeah, that's not happening. So yeah. I, called, I called and I just like purged what was <clears throat> going on. And then and then I immediately called a, a friend that I'd had since I was 17. And it and it felt it felt good that. I kind of purged it with this stranger on the phone. And then I had like, I had no shame about, you know, well, I don't want to dump anything on my friend. It was like, mm-hmm. I, I already dumped it. So now I'm processing the rest of it with my friend, Jim. Yeah, well, do they have you know? like Samaritans in America or what? Because in the UK we have, um, well, there's a number of different ones now, but the Samaritans uh, I support a lot. Um, you can call them free guys on 116123. Um, and they're amazing. <laughs> I, I use them a lot. Not so much now, but like when I was unwell, I used to ring them all the time. <laughs> like, oh. well, yeah, there, there's, uh, there's a lot of different hotlines that are free. Yeah. Um, I don't know if the one called Samaritans, maybe I'd have to Google it. But, yeah. Uh, you know, but I yeah. Suppose they, in they, different they, states, it's probably, you know, the yeah. US is so much bigger than over here in, it, in the UK. It's like yeah, it's, we're, yeah, it's, we're the yeah. size of like one state or something like I that. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but the, 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 the playthrough was that, you know, it, it started there. And then the next thing was like, okay, I've got this in my body that I've got, got to get rid of. Meanwhile, I'm actually working at the prison as a counselor while this is going on. Mm. Like, you know, trying to make it through that, yeah. making sure I need to be what I need to be for them. Um, and I, I thought, okay. I, I was driving in Chicago one day and I saw the words hot yoga on a sign and I was like, hot yoga. Okay, haven't had a stretch for a while. Hot would probably be good. Yeah. And so this friend introduced me to that and I, I immediately felt this releasing from my body. Mm. And then I got in touch with that friend Pam, um, who guided me into the, the adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families work. Mm. she's she's currently she's been doing that for over 40 years wow yeah so that was 20 years after my treatment episode i'm on a call with her and she guides me to the next level you know she's like i she said i i saw that stuff with you back then but it's not my place to dictate what your path is going to look like yes Do you know what? It's so funny because I've had a few people like, you know, contact me about people that they know and they'll say, you know, can you help this person or can you do this? And I'm like, sure, if they want to contact me, you know, whatever. But it's like I, I can't like force somebody to get help or I can't force them to help themselves. Like you need to be in a place where you're like ready for that or at least in a place where you're open to it. And I think yeah. other people telling you or, you know, if you're not there and you're not willing to, like, show up for yourself because to work through, you know, your your stuff, whatever that stuff is, you know, is a lot. And I think for a lot of people there's, you know, layers of shame to work through or guilt to work through or, you know, all these different kinds of emotions before you even get to your own stuff. <laughs> You know, it's like you might not even want to talk about it for however many years until after, you know, and it's just giving people that that space. You know, it's it's one person who was like, oh, they messaged on a therapy group that I'm part of and were like, oh, you know, somebody that they knew had had this really horrendous car accident. Mm -hmm. um, 
they were driving and somebody had died, you know, it was just really sad. It's really, it was an accident, it wasn't anybody's fault or anything. And, um, you know, what can we do straight away? And I'm like, hug the person, you know what I mean? Like, give them a yeah. bit of space. Like, yeah, it literally yeah. happened today. Like, they might not want to start doing trauma work today. You no, know, like, you might no, want to no. give them a bit of space just to, like, deal with the shock and everything else that's going on first and it was kind of like I know that you want to like dive in and help but probably just a bit of space first might be good just to let them kind of process you know for a moment before it's like okay let's unpick all of this and try and help you it's like whoa don't forget to meet us over on YouTube for the uncut video version and additional content of all episodes. You can find the link in the description. Right. Give it give it some time, man. You know, some Yeah, tra- trauma work needs a lot of space. That's that's <laughs> for sure. I'm actually going um a colleague of mine, a lady named Judy Crane does these trauma intensives. She's she's kind of like a trauma pioneer. Um she uh, has invited me to come down and do a trauma intensive at her place in Florida. Mm. So I'm going actually the 14th through the 18th to do this four four day deep dive. I've I've never actually done one of these before, so I'm I'm kind of like scared and excited at the same time. Is it training um, or is it like personal? No, no, it's it's a personal kind of? it's a personal trauma intensive. Mm. So it but it's with a group. So there's there's a group of people that you'll get together and you'll yeah. do this work together. And to maintain my credentials, I have to get, you know, continuing education and stuff like that. Yeah. And so I attend these, these workshops on, you know, trauma, covert trauma versus overt trauma, you know, and then emotional incest comes up and all this stuff. And it's like, I don't want to know any more of this. I, I can I have a break? Like yeah. the more, the more I, the more education I get, the more introspection, the more I realize how much more work I have personally to do. <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah. just stop now, man. <laughs> yeah. I hate that. You're like, I, I was um, reading a book cause I had a client who had a um, particular issue. So I thought, right, I, I don't know so much about this particular issue. So I got a book on it and started reading about it just so that I, you know, I don't know, I wanted to be informed. I don't want to say something that might inadvertently cause an issue or whatever, you know, like you say about re-traumatising. It's like, okay, just have as as much knowledge as you can and just be as prepared as you can. And as I was reading the book, I was like, huh, I think I have this issue. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I feel like someone's literally just written this book about me. And I was like, now I'm looking to get a diagnosis of ADHD because I was like, I, I've 100% got this thing, you know, it's like, oh my God. <laughs> well, if you, if you like, if you look in the, like the DSM diagnostical statistical manual of mental yeah. health, you know, issues, the criteria for almost all of those, any of us can meet those. Yeah. That's why we have to have like professionals to actually look at it and then say, okay, and this, okay, that, yeah. that makes sense, you know? Yeah. But I mean, I, I could go through and make myself schizophrenic if I wanted to. You know? Oh, okay, I'm not there. <laughs> You're alone in that one. Well, that, that may be extreme. That may be an extreme example, but you, you get what I I'm saying. I know what you mean. It's like if you got like a slight cough and you just look on Google and you're like, oh my god, I've got a cancer or something. It's like you just go uh, go to the extreme, don't you? So, um, I would love to know what do you wish that you'd known about suicide, about trauma 
um, before you got to this point in your life? Before I got to now? Wow. I mean, or now, the next moment. <laughs> <laughs> what, do, what do I wish I would have known? I, you know what? I, I, I don't think I, I would change anything, to be honest with you. I, um, I don't know if knowing what I know now sooner would have made anything different for the better. Mm. I, you know, it may have been more information than I was even able to take in. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I'm just grateful for really all of it. You know, I'm grateful for all of it. Everything that has happened, the way that it's happened, that's brought me to here to, to be the man that I am and to be able to live the, the life that, that I live with the kind of experience that I have, I, I don't think I would trade it for anything. Wow. Um, that's yeah, such a I, powerful I, place to get to, you know, to be able to look at those experiences and just be like, look at what I've learned and look at how much I've grown and look at how those experiences have enabled me to help all these other people that maybe wouldn't have connected with me otherwise it's, it's amazing yeah it's a gift it really is a gift you know so incredible <laughs> when it was happening i wasn't saying wow this feels like a gift it's like <laughs> get me out of this hell get me yeah. out of here <laughs> can i get out of here now <laughs> <laughs> thanks this is gonna be great for my future yeah. work <laughs> well, well that that's what that 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 mentor jerry esposito i mentioned earlier mm. when i when i got to that hospital, the other thing that he said to me, it just came to me. The other thing that he said was, um, you're going through this uh, so that you can help somebody else through this. Mm. I think it really helps, doesn't it? Because I feel the same, you know, and not that there's a, a scale, but, of, you know, I don't feel like my trauma is probably anywhere near as, as, ten as intense as yours. But like when I'm able to help people who have experienced or are experiencing similar things to what I did in terms of like heavy depression or suicide ideation or panic attacks, you know, like where you can't even leave your house or, you know, mm. anxiety where it's just chewing you up and you can't do anything. It feels so, it's like, oh, okay, all that time when I was suffering, all that time when it was so difficult actually wasn't wasted. It was like learning. And I feel like I'm still learning. I feel like every day, every day is a school day. I'm like, oh my god, yeah. just learning every every day something new, you know, about myself, yeah. about humanity and people. And it's just this curious journey, isn't it? You just every day on this curious journey of like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a great place to be too, you know. And 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 all of our our experiences and traumas and it's all relevant, you know. I mean, what what one person experienced, you know, was, you know, traumatic for them compared to another person's, it's all relevant. And the fact that we, yeah, that we lived through it, that you're saying that, you know, you can show up and, and view the day as a, just a great journey and learning experience. It's powerful. Yeah. I love it. I feel yeah. like a little kid sometimes, you know, when you're just like, I'm like, how do you still feel like a little kid? Even though you're like, you look in the mirror and you go, oh no, I'm an adult. But I'm like, I feel like I still have that childlike curiosity, you know, about like, oh wow. Like, I don't know, just like human beings in the world. And you know, I was ch chatting to um, someone the other day. They also have a, a podcast actually, Faye and um, Spiritual Sofa Sundays. So check it out if you're listening. And they were saying like, I can't believe people don't believe in energy 
when we live on a spinning mm. rock in the middle of <laughs> in the middle yeah, of I the know, galaxy. Right? <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, that makes so much sense. And I think that's why I'm so curious about the world because I'm like, hang on, you know, we sort of like normalise everything. Like, oh, I get up and I have a cup of coffee and I go to work and I go to the gym and, I, you know, it all feels like quite normal, you know, like just sort of like right. doing normal stuff with normal people. And then you suddenly realise that, hang on a minute, we're literally spinning around the sun. <laughs> like, yeah. how many million miles an hour and like, and the sun goes and the moon comes up and you're like, oh yeah, hang on a minute. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> this is just one massive rock in the middle of a, um, the Milky Way. Like, what? And then you sort of have this little realisation. You're like, oh yeah, okay, maybe there are things in this world that we don't get yet. That's okay. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so is there anything else that um, you wanted to share? Anything you wish that I'd asked that I didn't get to ask you? I don't think so. I think that was a that was a pretty full conversation. It's great. I've <laughs> I don't, really I don't know. It. I don't know. I don't want to ruin it by putting the laying something else on top. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your story and all that information. I think it's just going to be so helpful to so many people. If people want to kind of find out a bit more about you, where can they um, come and find you? Where's the best place to... Uh, our, our website is Westinghouse, the, the name W-E-S-T-I-N-G-H-O-U-S-E, intervention.com, uh, westinghouseintervention.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here again. It really has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and hear your story. And to all the listeners, as always, I will see you again very soon. Much love. We hope you've enjoyed listening as much as Rachel enjoys making this podcast. Why not share it with a friend in need of some heartwarming inspiration? And if you really love it, drop us a review on Apple Podcasts as it really helps us reach and inspire more people. Thanks for listening. You have totally got this.